This week's parasha is Be'chakotai and brings us to the conclusion of the book of Leviticus, covering chapters 26 and 27. In chapter 26, Adonai outlines the blessings for obedience and the punishments for disobedience. These blessings and curses depended on whether Israel, whether or not Israel would keep the covenant that the Almighty gave his people. In chapter 26, the word if appear, occurs nine times in relation to the Jewish people occupying and having abundance in the land of Israel. The blessings were conditional. God says, if you will do this, then I will bless you with these things. Things like rain when it was needed, abundant crops, a rich harvest, protection from their enemies, as well as making Israel numerous and fruitful. In fact, in verse 11, God says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul will not reject you. Rabbi Paul quotes this verse in 2 Corinthians 6.16 when he describes the privileged place of Yeshua's followers as his temple. The Lord's own presence among his people is the guarantee of the rewards for obedience. Historically, there have been time that the Jewish people did follow God. And we can see how God blessed them greatly. On the other hand, both history and the word of God shows us that most of the time Israel did not follow God. And this also meant that the rest of the world didn't know or follow God either. But their time would come. In verses 14 and 16, we see that three of those if statements, if you reject my covenant, if you refuse to hear and do, and if you despise and reject my statutes, judgment will be on you and the land. God lists five stages of that judgment. The first stage would be removal of the blessing as described in verses 4 through 7 and would include defeat in battle. The second stage, if they had not listened, would include famine and drought. Their pride would be replaced with humility. And God says it would be sevenfold, not meaning seven times, but Rather, their humiliation would be thorough and complete until such time as they repent. The third stage would include being overrun by wild beasts. The fourth stage would be bring war, pestilence, and lack of food. The fifth stage would be our people's exile from the land. This exile would also provide the land an opportunity to have its own rest and to once again be holy to God since the land in which God would dwell with his people must be holy. This played out clearly in the exile of Israel in the north in 722 B.C. and Judah in the south in 586 B.C. For nearly 500 years, Israel neglected to give the land its Sabbath. That meant that the land missed 70 sabbatical years. The Israelis failed to heed God's requirement, and Adonai had finally had enough. So the three-in-one God sent the Jewish people out of the land for 70 years. Second Chronicles 36.21 makes the connection between the set number of years of the Babylonian exile and the years of our neglect to the honor the sabbatical years. There is no coincidence in Scripture. Brothers and sisters, this shows who is in charge. And guess what? It is in us. It is the one who created us, and all that we see in the earth, the sea, or the sky, none other than El Gabor, the mighty God. 
But Israel's past failings will not neglect the fact or negate the fact that God deeded the land of the Jewish people forever. This is a remarkable, remarkable prophecy which shows that Adonai can and will restore and deliver his people. There are some people who see only the curses that God put upon the nation at that time and claim God is finished with the Jewish people. This was foolish thinking of the Babylonians. But 70 years later, the Jewish people returned to the land, though they removed a second time around 135 AD. The nation again was reestablished in 1948. But beyond the outworking of history, Romans 9 through 11 clearly teaches that Adonai is not finished with his chosen people, the Jewish nation. Verses 40 through 46 of chapter 26 shows the repentance would bring hope and that if Israel would return to God and forsake their disobedience, there would be forgiveness and blessing. God in his glorious uh, grace would reinstate the blessings that he had promised the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This demonstrates the unilateral nature of God's covenant with Israel. Despite his punishment of the nation, including the dispersion of the Jewish people, God promises that he would neither reject nor destroy them, but rather discipline them as a father does his children. God can look down through the ages and see our repeated failures, but it is his faithfulness that brings the final victory. In chapter 27, God gave instruction about fulfilling vows concerning persons, animals, houses, and land. Something we should remember about a vow is that it is voluntary. It is going the second mile, it is making a promise, and then guarantee that you will see it through. We should never make a vow that we are not fully prepared to make good on. Breaking vows displeases God. We can see in scriptures a few examples of vows. One is Hannah. She vowed that if God gave her a son, she would dedicate him to the Lord. And that's exactly what she did. When God gave her a son, she named him Samuel. God has heard. He was a great prophet and leader of the Jewish people. In fact, he is the one who anointed David as at God's command. A tragic example of following a, a foolish vow in scripture would be Jephthah, who vowed that he would sacrifice to the Lord the first thing he saw when he came home from a victorious battle. Of course, he was assuming that it would be one of his livestock. Sadly, the first thing he saw was his daughter coming out of the house. Now, some scholars believe that he really did take his daughter's life as an offering to God since Judges 11.39 says he carried out his vow. There are other scholars who suggest that since God would never tolerate a sacrifice of one's child, rather than offering her as a sacrifice, Jeff instead dedicated her permanently to the service of the Almighty. But that would mean that she would never marry and never have children. That is still a great sacrifice for an Israeli woman and shows the importance of thinking twice before making a vow. We need to make good on our vows or not make them at all. The last part of chapter 27 deals with tithing to God. The fact that God ends the book of Leviticus here Describing the tithe shows the importance of how we worship. Of course, worship involves praying and giving praise to the Lord in song and in hearing the word of God taught. But worship also includes the opportunity and does presume our desire to obediently give God what is already his. 
because it was his to begin with. So we should always be willing and eager to give back to him our time, our talents, and our treasures. Naturally, for some, this is difficult. We should pray that God gives us a desire to give him what is rightfully his. We have scripture to remind us what happens to those who hold back what is God's and those who are tight-fisted with their money. We read about a man who had so much surplus from his crops that he planned to tear down his barns and build bigger ones instead of sharing what he had. And that very night, God took his life. We also have the example of Ananias and Sapphira, who claimed that they had given the Lord the entire proceeds from the sale of the land, but they had held some back. That lie cost them their life. So, brothers and sisters, remember that the Lord tells us that if we follow and glorify him, he will in turn bless us. But if we disobey him, we will be punished accordingly. Let's remember that even when he disciplines us, he still loves us. And when we repent from our transgressions against him, he always restores us. What an incredible gift of grace that is. Speaking of grace, I am reminded in John 1.17, the inspired writer says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Yeshua. Moses may have delivered the words of God and gave him and acted as Israel's mediator for a time, but the true and final mediator between God and mankind is our Yeshua, the Messiah. And speaking of discipline and repentance, I'm reminded of what Jeremiah wrote. Heal me and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are my praise. The great prophet understood that the same Lord who at times reproves us is also the one who heals us and saves us, and his name is Yeshua the Messiah. Amen?